Malachi chapter 2, verse 1. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honour my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honour me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. And we'll skip to verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? I will send my messenger, who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers and perjurers, against those who defraud labourers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your grace to us in Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you've come down with a message of great news, that uh, if we turn to you, that you forgive us uh, and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness and from all sin. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to grasp hold of that truth this morning. Uh, Lord, whether for the first time or for the, the, the thousandth time, Lord, we ask that you would help us to know that great gospel truth, uh, to believe it uh, and to put our trust in Jesus. We ask it for his name's sake. Amen. 
One of my uh, all-time favourite books is, uh, by Sh- is by Shannon Lush, and it's the book called Spotless. Does anyone know the book Spotless? I know my mum does. My mum's here today. There's a few people know Spotless. It's, it's a great book. It was, it was so popular uh, that uh, she published a second imaginatively titled book, Spotless 2, um, which is also a runaway bestseller. Uh, but in those books, uh, she, she's, a, she's a furniture restorer or something like that. But in, and in those books, she gives this kind of these recipes for removing stains from various you know, uh, things that we have in our lives. So how do you get blood out of a shirt? Or how do you get ink out of the, out of the lounge? Uh, I once gave the book to someone as a wedding present. Lucky, lucky them. Uh, uh, and you think, wow, what a useless wedding present. But on the very day, on that very wedding day, they had to use the book. Someone had spilled a, uh, a candle on the father of the groom. Uh, they spilled wax, and he'd got wax all over his suit. Uh, and so they had to work out, how do you get wax out of a suit? Does anyone know how you get wax? Oh, an iron and, and, and paper towel. You put the paper towel on top of the wax, and then you iron it. The iron heats it up, and the, and the paper towel... Uh, sucks it out. Uh, they are the most amazing books that you go out and buy them. Uh, go out uh, this afternoon and buy Spotless and Spotless 2 because they tell you all these great things about how to get stains uh, and things out of our uh, everyday items. But one thing that they do not tell you, one thing if you search through the index of those books you will not find and that is how do you get stains out of people? How do you clean up people to get rid of the stain of sin and rebellion against God? So the message of the Bible is that inside all of us lives this pollution that destroys our relationship with God. And we're so blinded by that disease of sin that we don't even always see that we're actually filthy. We don't even know that there's a problem. But we catch glimpses of it in the relationships in our lives because we don't treat people, we don't treat the people that God has made uh, the way that we ought to treat them. We don't treat the world that God has made in the way that God wants us to treat them. We see reflections in that of the pollution that we have in our relationship with our Creator God. We seem, as human beings, destined to destroy the world and to destroy others and even to destroy ourselves. There's something in us which isn't right. There's this pollution, this stain, this disease that needs to be cleaned up. And the question is, how can that happen? And that's what Malachi 2 and 3 are really all about. So in answering that question, how can we be cleaned up? God starts by addressing the problem here with the religious leaders, with the priests. He begins chapter 2 with this warning for the priests. The priests weren't doing what priests were supposed to do. What, was a, what were priests supposed to be doing? Well, we get this picture in verse 5 of chapter 2 of what the priests were supposed to be doing. Uh, God looks back through Malachi. He looks back to Levi, the sort of forefather of all the priests. And God gives us this picture. He says, My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. I gave them to him. Uh, This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. 
True instruction was in his mouth and nothing, was false, nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace uh, and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. So there's a whole lot of things in there about what the priests were supposed to do. They were supposed to revere God and stand in awe of his name. They were uh, supposed to speak the truth and then instruct others in the truth. Their lips, uh, the words that they uh, spoke were supposed to preserve knowledge so much so that people would come to them wanting instruction. Tell us, how can we live for God? The priests were supposed to also walk in peace and uprightness. They were supposed to turn people from sin to doing what pleases God. But according to verse 8, the priests have done the opposite of that. They were supposed to be teaching people to follow God and to love God, but they were turning people away from God and causing them to fall into sin. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that saying, those who can't do teach, uh, and those who can't teach, teach teachers. Uh, so <laughs> those of you studying teaching, like Jed, uh, you know, what does that say? Is it <laughs> according to that saying, it means you can't actually do it. He can't, Jed can't can't do primary school. Um, it's, it's a silly statement, isn't it? It's making a mockery of something that we all kind of hold to be true. That is, if you want to teach someone something, you need to be able to do it. Uh, you know, I can run a masterclass on how to frame up a house. You know, at Bunnings, they always have those masterclasses. I could, I could go in there and run a, a, a masterclass on how to frame up a house. But let me tell you, you wouldn't want to walk into the house of anyone who'd come to my masterclass. You'd be like, this is not going to end well for any of us. The best teachers are the people who can do what they're training people to do. But what do we do when it comes to knowing God? Who can teach us about that? Who can teach us how to know God? Because none of us actually know God as well as we, we need to, to be able to do it and then to teach others. We're supposed to love God with all our heart and all our soul and our mind and our strength. But who can teach us to do that? I can teach you a bit about it and we can teach each other a bit about what it means to do that. There's a great gift of God that we can help each other to understand more about that. But we need more than that. We need someone who knows what it means to love God with all their heart and mind and soul and strength. Of course, the New Testament tells us that the person that we need most of all is Jesus. On Jesus' lips can be found true instruction. On Jesus' lips, we don't find anything false. We don't find any misdirection. Never misspeaks. Jesus walks with his Father in peace and uprightness. Jesus turns people from sin instead of turning them towards sin. In uh, John chapter 6, Jesus says to the crowd there that in him this great promise is fulfilled from the Old Testament. What's the great promise? The great promise is that they will all be taught by God. That through him people will be taught to know what it means to love God 
to know everything that they need to know about God. Jesus can do that. He can do that because he's the perfect son of God and God himself. He's the ultimate priest because he can teach us in a way that nobody else can teach us. The Old Testament priests in Malachi's day couldn't teach people. They couldn't make people perfect. And church leaders and churches and Christians still can't make people perfect. All we can do is point people to Jesus and say, he's the one. He's the one from whose lips you need to learn what it means to know and to love God. Martin Luther said, we're just poor beggars telling other poor beggars where to find bread. The only source of a holy people is a holy priest and the only only holy priest is Jesus. We need his instructions, his words, his teachings. So God says he's cleaning up people, uh, first of all, by providing us with a priest who can teach us to follow and to love God with all our heart. But next God goes on to show just how profound this problem with his priests uh, and really with all humanity, just how profound that problem really is. God says in uh, verse 3, Because of you, because of the priests, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices and you will be carried off with it. So God says that the priests are so corrupt that he's going to uh, not just rebuke them, but carry them away with uh, all, the filth, uh, all the filth of the, uh, the, the sacrifices. But that's not all. He says that he's going to smear poo on their faces. You might be thinking, whoa, that's a bit intense. Uh, and not just any kind of poo, but, uh, but actually... Uh, the, the, uh, the, the poo from the intestines. You're like, oh, does that make a difference? We'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> what God is doing is saying, in a particularly graphic way, I'm going to show you that you're not fit to stand before me. So imagine that you know, you're invited to meet the queen. You know, that might not be your greatest hope in the world but for some people it might be you're invited to meet with the queen uh, and you put on your nicest suit you get that out of the cupboard you know there's a little bit of wax so you have to use the iron and the paper towel Uh, you do that you go through the rest of Shannon's book to get yourself uh, you know ship shape for for meeting with the queen You, you put on your best tie or your best dress or whatever it is you're all ready to go you're standing outside the door and all of a sudden someone comes in and smears Poo all over your face and all over your suit and all over you. Do you think you're ready to go through the doors to meet the queen? You'd be horrified, wouldn't you? She'd be horrified, I'm guessing. That's what God is saying he's going to do with the priests. But as I said, this isn't just any kind of poo. It's the poo from the intestines, the inner parts. Uh, So, when the priests brought their sacrifices in the Old Testament, one of the things that they did when they were cutting them open and making them ready to be sacrificed was sometimes they do one of two things. Sometimes they cut them open and they get all the the bowels and the bits inside and they'd they'd wash them so that they would be clean. So all the rubbish would be cleared away because they couldn't offer them to God unless all that filth was taken away. 
Uh, alternatively, sometimes all that stuff will just be piled up and it will be shipped out of the camp and it will be, it will be burned because it, it was too polluted to be offered to God. But the way that we need to understand what's going on here is by understanding that those inner parts in the Old Testament were a kind of metaphor for our inner being. Uh, we often talk about the heart as the place where we think and feel and do all those things. But in the Old Testament, people thought and felt from their bowels. You know, it's a bit weird for us. But actually, if you think about it, that's actually where we feel a lot of stuff. It's where we feel scared and anxious. It's where we, you know, feel in love with someone. Or, uh, and, and, so the, and so the people in the Old Testament said, well, that's kind of, you know, that's the, the center of our being, if you like. But God is saying, actually, the centre of our being here, the centre of the being of these priests is filthy. It's filled with dung. And I'm going to rip that out and I'm going to smear it on your faces to show you guys that you cannot stand before me as holy and pure and blameless. Jesus says a very similar thing in the New Testament when he says to the religious leaders of his day that... Uh, that it's not what goes into a person that makes them unclean, but what comes out of them. Our, our hearts are like kind of sewerage systems which pump filth out into our lives. The problem is not what's around us, but what's inside us. Or Jesus says to the, the Pharisees that they're like whitewashed tombs. That is, they look really beautiful on the outside, but inside they're full of dead people's bones. God wants to highlight to us that in a very graphic way the reality of sin. We tend to think of sin as the things that we do, the things that we've done in the past. But sin is more than that. Sin is a corruption and a disease which lives inside of us. And it's not something that can be easily dealt with. The problem is our deepest instincts and our desires. The problem is not just that we've lied to people, but the problem is that we're predisposed to lying. The problem is not just that we've used pornography or that we've lusted after another man or a woman. The problem is that we enjoy it. The problem is that we see something that somebody else has and we want it. And we're consumed by it until we get it. You see, every one of us is born with these desires that are out of step with God and God's world. And those desires drive us and control us. And those desires and those loves which live in us, those themselves make us the objects of God's wrath. It's not just that God is angry with humanity for the things that they've done in the past, but God is angry with us as human beings if we're apart from Jesus because of what lives in us and the very people that we are living in settled opposition to who he is. The Bible says that we're not just sinners because we sin, but we sin because we're sinners. Sin is wedded deeply into our nature. And the question then becomes, how can that be cleaned up? How can that sin be unpicked from our nature? 
How do you unpick sin from inside us so that our God-given enjoyment of food doesn't become distorted by, the, by our desire to eat too much? How do you unpick sin from inside us so that our God-given appreciation of beauty doesn't become polluted by our lust? How do you unpick sin from inside us so that our God-given desire to be responsible and to work hard doesn't become an obsessive desire to control our life and our destinies? How do you how do you unpick that? So often we talk about forgiveness, and forgiveness is essential. We must be forgiven for the debt that we owe God. But forgiveness is only one half of the gospel message. Because a gospel which brings forgiveness for what we've done in the past, but leaves us in the vice-like grip of sin is no gospel at all. The other half of the gospel is being cleaned up inside us so that sin no longer infects and pollutes us. And the question is, where do we get that? And how can God do that? So God exposes the problem of the priests, their inability to teach and instruct people uh, and he exposes the problem of sin that lives within each one of us. But God says that he still plans to make for himself a priesthood. The priests in Israel, we need to understand, were, were a picture of a promise. The priests were a picture of a promise that God would always have for himself a people who loved him and served him with all their heart and soul and being. And God says he still means to carry out that promise. But in order for God to carry out that promise of having a people who live before him and love him with their whole being, God has to do something extraordinary. What's he going to do? Well, God says in chapter 3, he tells us what he's going to do and how he's going to solve this problem. He says in verse 1 that he's coming back to the temple. He says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. God is going to come back and to be among his people. But God's return is not going to be particularly pleasant. Verse 2, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? God's appearance when he comes to visit his people will be utterly terrifying. The reason it will be terrifying is because of God's absolute holiness and our sin. If you know the book of Isaiah, you might know that in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah ca catches a glimpse of the glory of God. He hears these angels singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah's response, he says this, Woe to me, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He's terrified because of his sin and because of the holiness of God. But God says that he is coming near to solve the problem of the corruption of his people. Look again at verse 2. 
For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have people who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord. God is envisaging a day where he'll have those people who will offer themselves and all that they have to him perfectly and blamelessly. But God says to get to that point, he's coming to clean them up. He's coming as laundry soap. That is, he's coming to scrub away that filth of sin that it lives with inside of us. And he's coming as fire. Uh, he says that he's going to purify the, his people like you would purify gold and silver. Now, when you purify gold and silver, you, uh, if, if you have... Uh, gold that you've mined from the earth it's it's polluted with all kinds of other things and so you need to take that out but you can't just kind of you know rub it off or something like that you can't purify gold just by you know washing it under the tap because it's all mixed together the impurities and the gold is all mixed together so how do you do it well you have to heat it up to a high temperature and then at the high temperature, the, the, the impurities and the gold separate out. And the impurities rise up to the surface and you can kind of just scoop those off. And what you're left with when the gold cools is, is the solid, uh, pure gold. God says he has a way to unpick from his people the impurity of sin. God is coming to cleanse and purify his people so that they will be a people who love him and offer themselves to him blamelessly. How do you wash people on the inside? How do you wash sin away from people? Well, you can't do it with soap and water, and you can't even do it with fire. But God says that he can do it, and the solution that he gives is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. These words of Malachi about the Lord coming to see, visit his people are the words that open up the New Testament. When John the Baptist comes, he comes saying that he's the messenger who's preparing the way for God to visit his people. John the Baptist came preparing the way for Jesus saying this, I baptize you with water for repentance but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I'm washing you with water. But he's going to wash you with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus, God has come in person to clean up the world and he's doing that by washing us with the Holy Spirit. When Jesus died for our sins and died to take away the condemnation that we deserved, he made the way for the Holy Spirit to come and make his home in us. And as the Holy Spirit comes and makes his home in us and unites us with Jesus, we're cleansed and transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. God doesn't change us instantaneously. That doesn't happen in a moment. There's this kind of already not yet thing going on in our salvation. As one Christian writer has put it, we're washed, but we're waiting. God has declared us to be clean, but he's still cleaning us up in anticipation 
of the day when Jesus returns. You might feel your ongoing corruption. You might feel and be aware of that ongoing pride or ongoing selfishness or lust or greed or idolatry or or unkindness. But the message of the gospel is that if you're in Christ, then you're washed. God has declared you to be clean in Jesus. And he's cleaning you up as you wait for that last day when Jesus returns. The miracle of the gospel is that God can clean us up, but we don't have to wait for that last day to come with boldness before God. Because in Jesus, God no longer treats us as our sins deserve. If you belong to Jesus, you're clean, and one day you'll be clean forever. But there's one more thing that needs to be said about God's plan to clean up the world. And that thing actually is in both Malachi and in those words from John the Baptist. You see, the flip side of God's purifying work in the gospel is God's purifying work in judgment. God says in Malachi chapter 3, So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. God said he's coming not just to clean up people, but to judge And John the Baptist says the same thing when Jesus appears. John says that Jesus is going to clean up the world with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then he goes on to explain what he means by that. He says, his, that is Jesus, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John's saying that Jesus is coming to sort out the world, to sort out the chaff, the rubbish, from the grain, the bit that you want to keep. God is coming back and he's sorting out the world. He's cleansing and purifying the world. And there's two ways that God is doing that. He's cleansing the world by removing evil from people And he's cleansing the world by removing evil people from the world. And we have a choice about which one of those that we'll receive. You can be purified by receiving God's mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be cleaned up through the Holy Spirit coming to dwell in you and to make you like the Lord Jesus. Or you can be removed from the world in God's judgment. God has come once in Jesus to clean up his world. He's appeared. He's come into his temple, his world. But God is coming back again to judge the living and the dead. And Malachi's question is, who can endure it? 
And the answer is, we can't of ourselves. But if we're with Jesus, we can. We can endure it because God is, has come in Jesus to clean us up and to make us holy and pure and blameless. If you're with Jesus, you are clean. And it doesn't matter how polluted by sin you are, God has made you clean and he will make you clean in Jesus on the day he returns. But if you're not with Jesus, if you're not with him, you cannot endure the day of his return because the day of his return will be for you, for all those who are apart from Jesus, a terrifying day of judgment and destruction. Turn to Jesus and be cleaned by him. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we want to acknowledge the reality of sin that lives within us. Lord, we acknowledge the things that we've done in the past, but we also want to acknowledge the things that still dwell within us and are knitted into the very fabric of who we are, the desires, the thoughts, the longings that we have which you hate. Lord, we see also remnants in us of the good things that uh, you created us to be, the right joys and delights, but even those good things are corrupted by sin. And so, Lord, we offer ourselves to you again today in humble repentance and seek your grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, the forgiveness that comes through him and the cleansing work that comes through the Holy Spirit. Lord, for those of us who are in Christ, thank you that we are already clean in your eyes. We've already been reckoned to be holy and pure and blameless. But Lord, we also pray that you would continue that cleaning up work, fulfilling what you've already promised, that you would take out of us those evil thoughts and those evil desires that we might grow to be more and more like Jesus every day. And Lord, for those who perhaps don't know Christ, those who uh, have not sought uh, your grace in him, Lord, we ask that you would enable them to turn to you before it's too late and to find the grace that you so freely offer to all those who come to you through him. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.